Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's the Chris and Amy Show. Check it out. St. Louis, Mound City. We are going to have a great day today. Now, Amy Marks pours Chris Ranji on KMOX. Let's take it from the top. Ah, good morning, friends. Welcome into this show. It's the Chris and Amy Show. Minus Amy. She is out. She's been on vacation since uh, January 1st of last year, to be honest. Uh, Nate Gatter is in with me, Chris Ranji. Hello. It is a pleasure to have you with us this morning. And we want your thoughts. 314-436-7900. That's the phone number. That means you can call or text it. If you just want to drop us a voicemail, you can do that, too, at 314 314- Nine four four eleven twenty. We are on social media, every platform you can think of. Well, for the most part, uh, at Chris Amy KMOX is the handle. Time now for the top of the order. The top three stories everybody will be talking about. Well, presidential candidate Nikki Haley had been doing pretty well, and I think you could argue still is, with the exception of a major gaffe that happened yesterday, getting a lot of attention today, and we will discuss that coming up. The uh, murder house in Idaho, as it's known, the uh, home in Moscow, the rental where uh, four University of Idaho students were stabbed to death last November is being torn down. And there's some legal questions about that. And also we will discuss the St. Louis Police Department and a report that crime data, some of it anyway, is not being shared and the issues that arise from that. So that is all coming up on the show today. Again, Nate Gatter is kind enough to be with us today. Um, This is our third day together, you and me, Nate. Um, And we've been having a a really nice time. I think in this holiday week, it's always a strange week because you're in between the two holidays, the two big holidays of the year, and we're just waiting for the calendar to flip to 2024. And as we talked about yesterday, it is probably going to be a really stupid election cycle. you know, we, we, were, we were talking about uh, local politics and state politics and the state legislature, which session begins January 3rd, and how you probably shouldn't expect a lot to get done. Not only is it going to be like that around the country, not just locally, state government, national government as well, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of things um, moving. It's just the nature of a presidential election year. You're also going to get some weird stuff. And I said yesterday that things will get stupid and they will get much stupider than what we've seen to this point. This was, and I have said about Nikki Haley, Nate, that you know me, I'm not, I don't typically vote Republican. That's just not really been a thing that appeals to me. Um, I understand why a lot of people do. And I do understand the appeal of the party for a lot of Americans. Um, But what I have said is if a Republican nominee ends up being president, I feel pretty good about Nikki Haley. I like her. I think she is reasonable. I don't agree with her on all of her positions. 
But she does come off as somebody who is extremely intelligent. She's not stupid. She's clearly not a stupid person. She does have, I think, the ability to um, take a question and answer it and do pretty well at that. Until this happened last night. And this was really the first time that I thought, ugh, that's not particularly great. But this is Nikki Haley at a town hall last night. This is ahead of um, uh, New Hampshire coming up, and this is what she had to say when asked a question from the crowd. I mean, I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do. I mean, I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are. And we, I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedoms of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a part of your life. They need to make sure that you have freedom. We need to have capitalism. We need to have economic freedom. We need to make sure that we do all things so that individuals have the liberties so that they can have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do or be anything they want to be without government getting in the way. What do you want me to say about slavery? Next question. Okay. So um, you, we did not have the parts where the, there was an interaction between her and the constituent who was asking her the question. And the question was, what started the Civil War? Why was the Civil War fought? And I think what he was looking for is a straightforward answer. We want you to acknowledge that it was about slavery. And if you heard the answer and didn't know what the question was, sounds like a pretty reasonable answer. Like, yeah, okay, I, I understand that we're a country of indi- individual freedoms. Uh, that's what we should stand for, basically what she's saying. The problem with it is, and she's taking kind of a beating today, even uh, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, taking the opportunity to sort of go after her a bit on this. And nationally, the conversation is, why did she screw up this answer so poorly? And that's what I think the biggest problem here is, Nate. It's that she didn't want to acknowledge that the Civil War was fought because of slavery. And we all know that's why it was fought. It's not her. It's not that she's stupid. She's not dumb. She knows what she's saying. She knows what she's doing. The problem is that she feels like she can't say it because it will upset a whole base of voters. So. That brings me to this. Why does it upset people to acknowledge true facts and to and, and a, a true past? Why can't we just acknowledge that's why it happened? So why but, is this so difficult? Before I get to that, it, it, what you what you think based on hearing that is that if you asked Nikki Haley in private and she was able to say what she really thinks, she would say, of course, slavery was a major contributing factor, but that she was at least relatively prepared for that question and thought it would it was in the best interest of her campaign not to say slavery. Well, she was on WPL in New Hampshire and addressed it this morning. Well, two things on this, Jack. I mean, of course, the Civil War was about slavery. We know that that's that's the easy part of it. What I was saying was, what does it mean to us today? What it means to us today is about freedom. That's what that was all about. It was about individual freedom. It was about economic freedom. It was about individual rights. Our goal is to make sure, no, we never go back to the stain of slavery, but what's the lesson in all of that? 
that we need to make sure that every person has freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to do and be anything they want to be without anyone or government getting in the way. That was the goal of what that was at. Yes, I know it was about slavery. I'm from the South. Of course, you know it's about slavery. So I hate the answer. I I hate the answer because it should just be flat out. Yes, it was about slavery and it was wrong. We shouldn't have done it. We shouldn't have seceded. But they did. The, the the issue with it, and there are a number of issues with it, is that it almost sounds like a justification to say, well, it wasn't about slavery. It was about individual freedoms. It was about us being able to have economic freedoms and do what we want to do in order to have an economy. But you you can't separate the economy at that time from slavery because slavery was a huge part. It was a huge economic driver. So I get what she's saying if, if, if you re- – if you removed slavery from the question, okay, that sounds reasonable, but you can't. You can't remove it from that question at that time. Yeah, I think there's some nuance here, too, because even then when she when she says, of course, slavery was a uh, cause, she's still trying to bring it back to, therefore, the takeaway is individual freedoms are paramount. And, we, and the problem with slavery, what caused slavery and ultimately the Civil War was not enough individual freedoms, which is... I guess technically the individual, true. Individual freedom to own people, it, right? Is I guess te- a- I guess technically true in that the individual freedom of the slaves was being inhibited, and that's sort of the angle that she's using. But to say that acknowledging, if we acknowledge slavery and we think about its impact on our country, that the takeaway is we need more individual freedom now, and the government needs to get out of our lives now, is I think a bit disingenuous because. And this ties into when you, what you asked me before. Why are some people, especially some conservatives, especially some conservatives in the South, so uncomfortable with saying that the Civil War was caused at least in significant part, if not clearly primarily by slavery? And I think it's because if you trace too much of our country's history back to slavery, which is so easy to do, but some people don't want to do it, it becomes very easy to go from slavery to where we are now in terms of the disparities in especially economic resources, in net worths, in salaries, in educations between white people and black people and other minorities too, but especially between white people and black people and what a massive disparity we have and how those gaps still pervade our society and still in some ways dictate significant portions of our society, not only in the South, but in the North as well. And when you start having that conversation, I think if you link those things, it becomes very difficult to make the argument that the government doesn't bear that the United States as a country, regardless of the fact that nobody alive now created slavery or it or allowed nobody slavery now to is responsible for it. But it's that okay the United to, States as a country it, it, still bears some sort of responsibility for the legacy of slavery sure. and its lasting effects. And that's a conversation that the Nikki Haley's of the world really don't want to have because they want to bring this all back to the solution is individual freedom, greater individual freedom, less government involvement. And doing that will never help to rectify this disparity. It will never help to close the gap that you can link easily back to slavery between white people in the United States and black people in the United States and their resources and what is available to them on average. And I think there's no way you're going to close that gap without significant government intervention. I'm not saying it has to go as far as something like sweeping reparations, but those are the kinds of conversations that Nikki Haley's of the world absolutely do not want to have. And the easiest way not to get to them is pretend there's no link between our current conditions and slavery at all. And that the only lesson we take from slavery is get the government out of our lives. Yeah. I, well, I, I do agree with that. I think that a lot of people, um, 
there's that idea of white guilt that they believe that a lot of us who are white feel guilty about what happened a couple hundred years ago. I don't. I don't feel guilty about it. I don't feel personal guilt about it. I think it is something that clearly we never should have done, and it was a, a horrible time in our history, but it's okay to acknowledge it because when you acknowledge it and when you we try not to erase that that happened, that we did that to people, when you try not to do that, then I think it allows us to heal better. And we, I'm not sure that we allowed ourselves. The entire country has not really allowed itself to heal from that because we don't. Ah, don't, don't let's don't talk about that. Don't 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 talk about the fact we did that. And I think because of crazy. the racial element of slavery in particular, I think that's part of the reason people don't want to talk about it. Because I don't think. I mean, it's not as widespread. A conversation doesn't come up up as often as slavery. But what percentage of Americans do you think are comfortable saying, yeah, we were in the wrong in Vietnam? We probably should have oh, done we that. Oh, totally were. Right. We've what been percentage wrong of Americans, a lot of wars. What percentage yeah. of Americans do you think are com- would be comfortable saying, yeah, we were at least partially wrong in Vietnam? Oh, dude, post, I, think, I think there are a lot of people out there willing to acknowledge that post-World War II, we were probably wrong in a lot of wars. Right. And yeah. so why – but do you feel any personal guilt about Vietnam? No, I don't. No, I wasn't. It wasn't I, don't feel, my fault. I don't feel guilt about um, I don't feel guilt about what we did in Iraq. I feel right. no guilt. I, I, yeah, I was a child. I, you know, I I'm not responsible. I didn't, I didn't declare war. Right. I'm and not so the one I think, who did that. I think the vast majority of Americans should have no personal guilt about anything we've done in any wars and yet would feel comfortable saying we were wrong in Iraq. Maybe they would. I hopefully the majority would. I think definitely the majority would feel comfortable saying we were wrong in Vietnam I don't know, except for just being uncomfortable with the racial elements of it, I don't know why this white guilt conversation comes up in relation to talking about slavery and American guilt doesn't come up in relation to Vietnam or other wars where we've been in the wrong. Nate Gatter, Chris Ranji today, 314-436-7900. If you have thoughts, we'd love to hear from you here on KMOX. It's Nate Gatter in for Amy Marks Cores. I'm Chris Ranji, 314-436-7900. A text message says, uh, oh, Chris, so you mean why do we have to tear down statues from 100 years ago? Um, and I, I, they're, they're talking about the uh, comments from Nikki Haley, if you're just tuning in, who yesterday at a town hall was unable to um, answer a question well about the Civil War. And everybody today knows she screwed it up. She knows she screwed it up. That's why she's going on talk shows, which she did this morning in New Hampshire, um, trying to backpedal and trying to explain what she was saying. She knows it was a bad answer and knows that it was bad. She could not acknowledge slavery as a cause of the Civil War. We all know that's what caused it. Everybody knows that. You can say economic freedom, but the economic freedom was tied into. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives. Streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The southern states having slaves. We, we Everybody knows that. That's not a disputable part of history. The idea of statues, though, that that's that's irrelevant. The reason people 
want some of these Confederate statues torn down is it's not that you ignore that history. It's that we don't have to celebrate people. And a statue is a celebration of a person. You don't have to celebrate a Confederate. You don't have to celebrate somebody who was treasonous. They seceded from the United States. That is treason. You don't have to celebrate those people. And that's all. It was. I don't care if statues stay up or if they get torn down. It doesn't bother me one bit. I don't care about statues. But I understand why a lot of people do. I understand why they don't want the reminder of a guy, of a general, of a Confederate war hero, if you want to call him that, why their likeness is is solidified in a statue for all eternity. I, I understand why that bothers some people. I don't understand why people get so excited about keeping them. That's yeah, the part. Who, who is like, cares? who's putting on for the Confederates? Because, you know, at some I'd like to hear a good reason that's not just racism. You don't need to, if it's just preserving history, there are so many other ways to do that through museums, through academic disciplines that don't involve, as you said, glorifying someone with a statue. Nobody is suggesting tearing down the Holocaust Museum, no. but nobody would suggest erecting a statue of Hitler. Well, obviously not. And Nikki Haley, even in 2015, when they took the Confederate flag from down from South Carolina, and that was that was her decision. Something She's, that she flip flopped on during her her governorship, right? But in, and in what right? But eight years ago, what she said was, "Look, it should be in a museum." It should be a thing that if you want to go and, and look at it and you want to see this is this is what was happening. These are the symbols that we were using at the time. Perfectly fine. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. But it doesn't need to be on outward display for everybody to see. Because what you're telling people who would have been slaves at the time is, hey, we still remember that past and we we long for that past. And I that was a reasonable thing for her to say eight years ago. And I wish she hadn't backpedaled on that. And I wish she had done a better job with that question yesterday because I do, ultimately, I, I like her. I think, she's, I think she's all right. I'm not saying I'd vote for her, but I think she's, compared to what, what else is out there, um, I think she's all right. And I think she is a reasonable person. And I know that she knows that that was bad yesterday. She's fully aware that that was not a great thing for her to do. Yeah, I'm confused about whether it felt like to me when we played the initial part, the initial sound from the town hall, which actually is, I think, three different answers stitched together. But the end parts are short when she's responding to follow ups by the, the person who had asked the question. The initial part, it felt like there were unusually long pauses after some of her sentences as though she was considering, could I stop here? It seemed like she didn't really want to keep going, but she also was getting well, the feeling from the room that the answer was not necessarily being well received and yeah. I wonder if that means the question caught her by surprise oh no it absolutely did and 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 today she said that she thought it was a democratic plant which it totally could, it could have, have been. it I, is sort of a gotcha sure. question in that regard sure it could have um but it shouldn't have been a difficult question to answer appropriately um maybe she was surprised by it because who's going to ask that question in the middle of a of a campaign about current politics I understand why the voter would do it. There were outlets that got a hold of that person. I don't know his name, but they said or he told them that he's just a voter and he he wants to know where she stands on that and if she's able to acknowledge it. So I don't know. Maybe 
he was a plant. That doesn't prevent her from answering the question well. That's Nate Gatter. I'm Chris Ranji. We will talk about how that uh, particular gaffe by Haley is affecting um, her campaign and what people on Washington or in Washington are saying today. We will talk to Major Garrett when we come back on KMOX. It's the Chris and Amy show today. No Amy. Nate Gatter is in. We're happy you're along for the ride today as we are approaching 2024. Um, It is time to go to the Quiver River Electric guest line. We are joined now by our regular guest at this time, Chief Washington Correspondent for CBS News, host of the Takeout Podcast, host of Agent of Betrayal, the double life of Robert Hansen. It is Major Garrett with us this morning on KMOX. Good morning, Major. Good morning and good morning, Nate. Good morning, sir. See? Nate, Nate was all worried that you weren't going to be nice. <laughs> no, he would never. He would never be anything but nice to a fellow tiger. Exactly. Oh. I didn't even know that. But yes, I'm doubly nice now. See, uh, I've always said this, and maybe I said it to you too, Major, when uh, when we met last. But um, there's one thing about people from Mizzou Journalism School, uh, from Syracuse, and in some cases Northwestern. That they will, they cannot wait to tell you they went there. For obvious reasons. I, I mean, it's, it's, I, it's obvious for Mizzou. It's, yeah. it's obvious for Mizzou grads. I'm not quite so sure why it's so obvious for Syracuse <laughs> and Northwestern grads. That's exactly but the right answer. Uh, first, best, and next. That is our motto. First, best, next. We are the first school of journalism. We're the best school of journalism. That's Don't right. take it from me. Take it from everyone who hires us. And we're always thinking about what comes next. So that's why we're so proud of it. <laughs> well, you should be proud. Mizzou is great. Good luck tomorrow in the uh, in the Cotton Bowl against the Ohio State. In the Cotton State. Bowl, right. yes. Yes, indeed. How excited Very are you? Very excited about that. Very excited about that. All right, Major mm-hmm. Major Garrett, let's, let's talk about what happened yesterday with Nikki Haley. It's been getting a lot of discussion today mm-hmm. nationally. Uh, people are talking about it. She was on a radio show in New Hampshire trying to sort of uh, put out the fire a bit about her answer regarding the Civil War and what caused it and her reluctance to acknowledge slavery was part of the equation. What's been the reaction in Washington today, if any? Well, Washington is pretty much vacant right now. Yeah. Most people are out of town. Uh, Congress is gone. The president's in St. Croix. But, and this is not a Washington, this, the importance of this conversation is not in Washington, D.C. The importance of this conversation is in New Hampshire and Iowa and nominally in South Carolina. And she said this morning on a New Hampshire-based radio show that slavery is the easiest part of the answer. Well, not yesterday. <laughs> Uh, I mean, come on, come on. And um, I just think it was it was a it was a moment that she made so much more awkward than she needed to make it. And we had uh, an embedded reporter there, meaning we have a reporter based in New Hampshire. We have a reporter based in Iowa. And then we have reporters who travel with certain of the campaigns. And we have a reporter who goes to every Haley event and reading all the emails uh, that our embedded reporter was sending last night. It was clear that Nikki Haley as a candidate tensed up the, the moment that question was asked, she tensed up. Well, why are you tensing up? This is not a tense question. 
unless, unless, unless you're nervous about telling the truth to your audience. Why would you be nervous about that? I don't know. Maybe you're afraid that you'll be accused of becoming woke if you say slavery. And if that's where the woke conversation has come in Republican Party circles, and I'm not saying it is, but if Nikki Haley's anxiety and nervousness and tenseness about whether to wade into this was linked to that, then that's a, that's a window into what she thinks a Republican base audience might or might not be willing to accept. That moment is as much about her as her trying to navigate what she fears might be a hostile reaction if she tells the truth. And I think that's why this is gaining traction, not so much because you know as governor of South Carolina, she doesn't not know the answer. That's not the issue. It's not like who's the leader of this country or do you know this particular geography or do you remember this thing about the set of that war in motion 60 years ago that is somewhat distant? It's not that she doesn't know the answer. That's not the question. Everyone knows she knows what the answer is. The question is, why was she hesitant? And what does that tell you about not only her set of political calculations, but what she might be fearful an audience would be willing to listen to? And I think that's why it's gained so much interest and attention. Major, considering, I think, the point that you brought up, which is a, a good one, that, that of all people, uh, someone who is governor of South Carolina is well acquainted with this kind of conversation. And with that in mind, and the fact that the South Carolina's relationship with the Confederate flag was sort of a theme of mm-hmm. her cam- gubernatorial yeah. campaign as far back as 2010, and then post-Charleston shooting in 2015, her opinion changing on that, perhaps, uh, perhaps understandably so, and so that was a theme for her in the past, which is sort of at least slavery adjacent. Are you surprised then that she was as unprepared as she seemed to be for how she wanted to handle this sort of question? That it clearly, as you said, made her tense up a little bit, made her a little bit nervous. Are you surprised, even if it was a little bit out of left field under the circumstances, that a candidate from South Carolina whose political career has been at times linked to this discussion of the South's legacy of the Confederacy and slavery wasn't more prepared for this question to come up at some point? It's, it's a great question. I think the simple answer is yes. It's important that she was not prepared. And this is something that I can tell you from experience, because I've been covering when they were competitive, the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary and the South Carolina primary, basically since 1996. And those three states, they get a lot of criticism because why so much attention? Why why do they have this disproportionate influence on the nominating process? That's a separate conversation. But the one thing that is true is all three states require, but especially Iowa and New Hampshire, this ritualistic process of going to these small voter encounters, you have to do it. And you're going to get any manner of questions in these encounters, any manner of questions. You'll get questions on the gold standard, believe it or not. I've been hearing gold standard questions for 20 years. You know, when are we going back to the gold standard? Getting our, you know, I mean, you get questions on anything. You get questions on, you know, 20 years ago, UFOs, you get them now. They're a little bit more uh, current and topical than they were 20 years ago. But you can get a question on just about anything. And what's interesting about what happened yesterday is Nikki knows, Nikki Haley, the governor, former ambassador, knows she is 
well-positioned. She is moving. She is heading up, which is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. It's a bad thing if you become fearful of that momentum, meaning you don't want to make any kind of mistake. And that begins to creep into your mind as a candidate. I've watched this over and over again. And that hesitancy is is about, again, she knows the answer. But why did she hesitate? Why did she tense up? Because she knows now the stakes are higher. The stakes weren't as high for her in August. They weren't high in September. They were barely high in October. They were slightly higher in November. They're highest now. The stakes are highest. She doesn't want to fumble. She doesn't want the grounder to go through her legs. She doesn't want to blow it. She doesn't want to miss the alley-oop. I'm using every sports metaphor. I think. <laughs> doing well. Uh, and that is part of it. And this is what happens when the spotlight gets hotter, the stakes get higher, and you are then trying to cling to something that you have that you do not want to slip away. And suddenly you lose your naturalness. You lose or you can lose. You don't always. But you can lose the things that got you there in the first place. And this is that testing moment for a candidate and a campaign. How do you handle a moment like that? Well, clearly she didn't handle it well. So now she has to do the next most important thing. And you said, uh, put out the fire, clean up on aisle six, whatever you want to say. She's got to figure out a way to fix this and move on and regain whatever momentum she lost in this momentary fumble. But that's what happens when you get in these races and you know you're getting better and don't want to lose what you've worked so hard to achieve. And in that moment, she got hesitant. And that's what these voters in New Hampshire and Iowa especially look for. They want to pierce that. That's why the questioner said when she asked her back, or him, I can't remember, well, what do you think the cause was? I'm not the one running for president. I don't have to answer any of your questions. You are. That's why you're here, and that's why we put you in this griddle. So answer it. You know, that was basically the, the tone and tenor. And it's in this minuscule little moment of testing that voters in Iowa and New Hampshire like to test these candidates because they get they know that it's a chance that very few other Americans get. Small rooms, few people, you get to look at them straight in the eye and you can put any question you want to them. And in that little cauldron, things can emerge. You can see inside a candidate in ways you might not otherwise. And whatever people are seeing from Nikki Haley today is different than what they were seeing because of that encounter yesterday. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that does end up affecting her. I think it, it it's almost uh, it's kind of crazy that we're even talking about it because it just doesn't feel like she has a chance anyway. Um, against well, not in Iowa, President not Trump. in Iowa, not but, in she, Iowa. but she but she does. She in I New mean, Hampshire. We have our, yeah. our CBS polling. It's been matched by two other polls that suggest that she's getting closer. She's within single digits. Now, uh, every indication I have, and I was talking to a bunch of Republicans in Iowa yesterday, the expectation is that Trump will not only win, but he'll, his margin will be – not his margin, but his n- number will be 50 or higher. And DeSantis and Haley will be fighting for a very distant second, and they could be 20 – 25, maybe 30 points behind Trump. So what does that, what does that do? I mean, do you, do you go into New Hampshire with any momentum from that? I, don't, I doubt it, but who knows? So New Hampshire is a place of interest, and it's a place where she was gaining some traction, and that sense that I'm gaining traction in her mind made her a little bit different. And that difference, that 
that that tenseness is what you see when the stakes get higher. Who is um, on the takeout this week? So obviously this is a weekend in between holidays. And I wanted to have a show that was kind of aware of that. So I met a guy a few years ago named Alex Gamble. He was uh, part of the a big family here in D.C. that owns a lot of parking lots. Not exactly the most interesting way to make money, but a very regular way to make money. He cashed out, took his money, and went someplace kind of unusual. He went to Burgundy, France. He became the only American to create and make wine, own land in France, and compete against generations of French and Burgundy French winemakers. And he had a smash hit. Did that for 25 years, sold out, made wine in Santa Barbara for three years. Made a huge success there, and then in his mid-60s, he said, you know what, I'm going to be a ski bum in Wyoming. He's an interesting guy. He's written a book about his whole life in France, being a winemaker, and we spend most of the show talking about that, being an entrepreneur, figuring out how to be an American in France and wine business, and what you should have as you're preparing for the holidays, either New Year's or anything else. So we talk a little bit of wine and what to drink with what and in what volume and the difference between French and American wines, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a nice little holiday show. Well, great. We all need a nice little holiday show. We tried to do one, but then Nikki Haley said that, so <laughs> it turned into this. <laughs> yes. And again, it's not because she didn't know the answer. Of course she knows it. Yeah. She knows it. And that's what we, we said off the top is that it sucks that she feels like she can't alienate people. Why are there so many people who would be feel alienated by saying the Civil War was about slavery? It's just, it's nuts. <laughs> Why are there that many people who, who feel that way? And she may be wrong about that, but something told her. Oh, judging by our is... text line, it, she may not be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. But, 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 that, but that's, the, that's, that's the prism. It's not yeah. that she didn't know the answer. You know, it wasn't like Bush when he couldn't remember who was in charge of Pakistan. You know, remember that? The general. Yeah. <laughs> That's all Bush yeah. would say. W would yeah. say. The general. The general. He wouldn't because he couldn't remember. It's not like that. That Listen, was a 2000 campaign, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Major, we will talk next week when yeah. Uh, yeah. things are rolling. And it's a new year. And it's a brand new year. Everything changes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Thank you, See Major. You guys. That is uh, Major Garrett's chief Washington correspondent for CBS News. You know that Odyssey app where you can listen to this show live and you can get the podcast and rewind and all that good stuff? You can listen to KMOX, uh, Cardinals Baseball, the Odyssey app. You can also get his podcasts, The Takeout and Agents of Betrayal. They're both fantastic podcasts. Nate Gatter and Chris Ranji today in this holiday week. Did you see this coming up on KMOX? Did you see that thing? can't believe it. Something is obviously wrong. This is a joke, right? Oh, my God. Are you freaking kidding me? No way. You got to be kidding me. Don't feel bad. There's no way you could have known that. Now, did you see this with Chris and Amy on the show? You know, this uh, particular story might be more suited for a segment that we should be doing called um, Late to the Party. Uh, Did you know this? That there are apparently in Germany, and there are some in Sweden, there are bus stops that are fake outside nursing homes. 
you see this before? Have you, so have you heard about the idea, this? No, I have not. But is the idea that if, if a, an elderly person were to uh, leave or uh, even escape from the, the home, they would wait for a bus and that a bus ex- would not come? That is exactly what it is. Yeah. That's smart. So there are at least 11 of them around Germany. And that is the concept. The idea is that if they wander out... They will go to the bus stop thinking, well, I'm going to go downtown, I'm going to work, whatever. And then they will sit at the bus stop, and the bus stop never comes. And therefore, they don't get very far. And there is research that suggests it helps because they'll just eventually give up and then come back in, and then they don't wander off too far, and they don't go missing. But then there are also opponents of it who say that it leads to confusion and frustration, and it actually worsens their symptoms. But I, I was fascinated by that idea. I never have heard of such a thing. It's almost like lying to a relative who is into dementia or Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and how you're never supposed to remind them that their spouse died. That you just say, oh, no. Yeah, what do they call those? There's a particular adjective that they put in front of the lie, and I don't remember what it is. But essentially the idea, like therapeutic lie or something along those lines. Right. That that you're essentially by up to a point participating in the incorrect version of the world that exists in that person's head is actually better for them. We had my my grandfather was he loved dogs. He always had a dog and dogs would somehow gravitate toward him and then he would adopt them. Right. And when he was down that road into Alzheimer's, um, he would say, where's the dog? And at first, family would be like, well, you know, the dog passed. And then he would get upset. And then it happened over and over again. And eventually we got to the point where we just said, oh, you know, uh, she's been gone for a long time. Don't you remember? And and maybe not said exactly that way, but then he, he eventually stopped. But that's like that's a strange. I I don't know how I feel about that because I don't know the science behind it. I don't know if you it's don't a know good how you feel not. about the bus stop thing bus or, stop. or about misleading people with dementia at all. No, 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 no. Well, no, you have to do that, right? I was going to say, and I, I don't think know that's that, pretty well settled. Yeah, that's, otherwise it's like he's experiencing the death of the dog, you know, over every and over hour again. or whatever. But the bus stop thing, that's, yeah, it is a little bit. It's a little heavy handed in that regard, um, and I do think it's sometimes what people are concerned about with their older relatives, especially if they put them in a care facility of some kind, is that their goal is to give those people the very best quality of life they can and try to preserve whatever joy can still can be found in their lives at, at that point. And in some cases, I think what they fear is that the workers in those facilities and the other people who are actually in charge with taking care of them are really just trying to keep them as, con- as alive day to day as conveniently as possible. Um, and not as invested in quality of life, and this feels like one of those things, right? That that well, that's that's could, one of the arguments against saying, it is right. that the, the people who work there are like, well, this is great for us because right. we get a break, but it's not. really And all about they care about is that the person doesn't actually get away, and maybe they're not as invested as the family or friends are in helping this person's condition as much as possible. They they don't really the symptoms are bad enough. From the worker's standpoint, if the symptoms get a little worse, who cares? As long as I don't lose a patient and have to chase them downtown or whatever. Uh, so I can see that that sort of pushback. I think that push and pull probably exists in a lot of places when it comes to senior care. Uh, where'd you go to college again? You went to Mizzou. M-I-Z. Okay. But you are from Wisconsin originally, right? For a few years. For a few years. Did you hear or did you see this about um, a University of Wisconsin lacrosse chancellor? 
Lacrosse Chancellor? No, University of Wisconsin uh, Lacrosse. At UW Lacrosse. I see. I was like, I'm, fam- I'm familiar with these lacrosse chancellors you speak of. Do you, do you know about Wisconsin Lacrosse? I I know it exists. <laughs> okay. You know there's a university there. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, Joe Gao was fired yesterday because apparently he appeared in a pornography with his wife. And and it it got out. It was a porno contest, or excuse me, porno content on at least two different websites. Lost his job as a result of this. Did you hear about this? I did. I'm shocked. I did not. Okay. You know what? Maybe we need to. I, I would like to get people's thoughts on that. We're going to talk about this when we come back. We've got other things to get into, but I want to address this further with you. Nate Gadder from Wisconsin. Chris Ranji on KMOX. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.